Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Cast Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. A whole bunch of stuff we're getting into today in the world of baseball, sports, and unified America. And obviously, um, a sad moment in the world of not just baseball history, but sports history, as we talk about the passing of Tom Seaver and you know, I don't think there's anything else that I can bring to the table that's necessarily going to tell you anything that you don't know. You're talking about a legend in the world of not just the history of the New York Mets, but in Major League Baseball history. And we can talk about where Tom Seaver ranks amongst the best starting pitchers of all time. And you can make a very good case that he should be within the top. And he may not be. Could be 11 or 12. But when you talk about the ninth spot or the tenth spot when you're ranking the all-time top starting pitchers in the history of Major League Baseball, um, you can make a very good case that Tom Seaver should be there in regards to nine or ten. The 311 strikeout, uh, 311 wins, 3,600 strikeouts, 61 shutouts, and obviously the dominance over the course of his career from day one when he pitched in his first game in the Major Leagues in 1966. Throughout the rest of his career, he was an absolute, not just bona fide ace, a bona fide number one in a pitching staff, but one of the best in the game and one of the best to ever do it. So what I was thinking about doing today is talking about how synonymous Tom Seaver is with the history of the New York Mets and the New York Mets franchise and how that may not have ever come to fruition. But when it did, it almost seemed like the Mets, who had something that was, or seemed like it was too good to be true, almost through neglect and mistakes and just a very, very bad decision in 1977, end up giving Tom Seaver away twice. Tom Seaver was drafted with the 20th overall pick in a 1966 draft by the Atlanta Braves. Now, that you wonder, the New York Mets picked in that draft before. You know, the Mets had some bad teams going back from the roots of 1962 and didn't finish above last place in the National League until 1968. So they're going to have an early draft pick. For whatever reason, they didn't have a top pick in the 1966 draft. But Seaver was taken by the Braves with the 20th overall pick. The Mets selected 18, which was two picks before the Braves took Tom Seaver. And they selected an outfielder, a high school outfielder, out of Dallas, Texas, by the name of James Taylor. Not James Taylor, the, you know, the legendary singer, but James Taylor, the high school outfielder from Dallas, Texas, that never played in the major leagues. So the Mets could have drafted Tom Seaver there, would have led for a better story, the player that is regarded as the franchise for a team that didn't have a Babe Ruth, the Lou Gehrig, a Joe DiMaggio, a Mickey Mantle, a Yogi Berra, didn't have the likes of a Ted Williams or a Carl Yastrzemski, didn't have a Johnny Bench or a Pete Rose, didn't even have a Mike Schmidt or a uh, Robin Roberts 
or going back further, a Chuck Klein, or a Ed Delahanty, or a Sam Thompson, or a sliding Billy Hamilton, or a Pete Alexander. All these other franchises were defined by the great players that they had that represented the uniforms that they ended up wearing. The New York Mets had never had a player like that. Could have absolutely, unequivocally, and undisputedly had they drafted him with the 18th overall pick. Now, you find out the story about the Braves taking him with the 20th pick. And it looks like we're going to have a guest to our show today. We'll welcome Nolan. Nolan, why don't you jump into the camera and say hello. Nolan's going to be part of the show today. He's going to stop by as he's sneaking around the chair. Are you coming, buddy? Oops, he's sneaking around. He's just going to be a guest. He's going to watch on the couch. So, thinking about the Mets select the Mets with the opportunity to select Tom Seaver with the twenty with the eighteenth overall pick, they chose not to, and the Braves take him with the twentieth pick. Seemed like pretty cut and dry situation. It actually seems like an unfortunate situation for the Atlanta Braves, who really didn't do anything wrong. All they did was they signed the player that they drafted out of college from the U, from the USC Trojans to a contract. Now, USC had played two exhibition games after or before they signed the contract, and at the time, Seaver was on their roster, even though he didn't get into either one of the games. Major League Baseball thought that was – Something that was not good, something that set itself up to not be worthy of him having a major league contract. And what a lot of people don't talk about is how bad Tom Seaver got screwed when all he was was drafted with the 20th overall pick by the Atlanta Braves in the 1966 draft. Now, in the January draft, he was drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers. He asked for $70,000, and the Dodgers wouldn't pay, and he went back to school. Now, the Braves had, and Seaver had agreed to terms. Something very simple, something that had happened, you know, in the, the history of the draft, which had only been a couple years old, but would happen for years upon years. You draft the player, whether it's out of college or out of high school, you come to terms with that player, and that player becomes part of your franchise. The Atlanta Braves didn't deserve to lose Tom Seaver. Now, Commissioner William Eckert, who you've heard me talk about the lineage of commissioners in Major League Baseball and its history, did not necessarily represent the best interest of the game of baseball when he chose to void Tom Seaver's contract with the Atlanta Braves. Now, Seaver ends up in a, in a spot where he's like, all right, I'll just go back to school. I'll, I'll finish up my, my year of college, and I'll go back, and I'll be part of the draft next year. Well, the NCAA decides to make Seaver ineligible, and he ends up not being part of, you know, allowed to pitch in college for, for that next season. So here's a guy that all he did was he was available in the draft. He signed a contract with the Braves. Now he's not allowed to pitch for a major league baseball team, and he's not allowed to pitch in college. So to make things right, the commissioner ends up setting up a pool of any team that's willing to match the Braves' contract offer, which, by the way, the Braves should have been in that pool. The Braves didn't do anything wrong there to deserve to not have 
an opportunity to sign Seaver, or at least an opportunity to have that contract that they put together valid if they were to put it, be put in a lottery. And what, what ends up happening is the Mets end up winning a lottery. They, it's the Mets, the Phillies, and the Cleveland Indians who all three decide that they're going to pay the same amount as the Braves offered in a contract. The Mets win the rights to Tom Seaver, and you know, the rest is history. You know, from that point forward, the New York Mets have their legendary player. The series of players that I was talking about before, the equivalent of an Ernie Banks or a Billy Williams with the Chicago Cubs, the equivalent of a Craig Biggio or a Jeff Bagwell with the Houston Astros, Ken Griffey Jr. of the Seattle Mariners, that legendary player that played and is known synonymous with your own franchise. Now, Seaver ends up being known for that, but the problem becomes the Mets, through a bad time in the 1970s, when they're going to hell in a handbasket, went from being a team that Seaver led to a World Series in 1969 to another World Series appearance in 1973, and was no way the reason why the Mets had fallen on some hard times financially in 1975 and 1976. And he becomes in 1977, along with Jerry Kuzman, really the two sole players that have a ton of ability on a team that's really going nowhere. And he gets in a contract dispute. Dick Young of the New York Daily News posts writes a story about uh, you know Tom Seaver's wife and you know the hopes that Seaver could get paid as much as his uh, his old friend Nolan Ryan, who is at that time pitching for the California Angels. And you know, Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver were teammates for the 1969 Mets. Uh, Ryan was traded to the Angels for Jim Fergosi. And obviously, you know, Nolan Ryan becomes a great pitcher, one of the top pitchers in the history of Major League Baseball himself. But w- what ends up happening is the Mets, who probably should have done the right thing, and just given Tom Seaver the contract that he wanted to, at that point, giving him the contract to be a New York Met for life, which, by the way, like I just said, it was a gift that he was in a position to even be signed by the Mets in the first place. He should have been pitching for the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves, who had Warren Spahn and later on in the days of the 90s and the early 2000s, would have the likes of Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and John Smoltz, you didn't know about the great pitchers that pitched for the Braves and their franchise. Imagine if you just added Tom Seaver to the mix. The Braves probably won a World Series, maybe in 1969. Remember, the Braves end up winning the National League West Division in the first year of divisional play, play the Mets in the NLCS, and the Mets end up winning that series easy. But if Seaver's pitching for the other side, I don't know if the Mets win that series. So maybe you're talking about the Braves being the 1969 World Series champions. And there are no Miracle Mets. And maybe you never see a World Series championship if you are the New York Mets in the franchise and its history. But I digress. So Tom Seaver should have been made a Met for life. Wasn't. Was traded to the Cincinnati Reds for Dan Norman, Pat Zachary, Steve Henderson, and Doug Flynn. Obviously, you could have added another dozen players of that you know, echelon or caliber to go to the New York Mets. And it was no way 
ever going to be enough value to make up for the best pitcher in the history of the franchise and a pitcher who still at that time was one of the best pitchers in the entire National League and all of Major League Baseball. So as this story couldn't have any more twists and turns, he throws a no-hitter for the Cincinnati Reds, leads them to a playoff appearance in 1979. The Cincinnati Reds in 1981, by the way, win more games than any team in the National League and didn't make the playoffs because of the split season. So the Reds and the Cardinals, the two best teams in the East and the West divisions, the most wins cumulative among the two halves of the seasons, end up missing the playoffs. So there's four other teams that make the playoffs. It's not the Reds who had the best record in the National League of that year. And Seaver was part of that. That was one of Seaver's best seasons. He went 14-2. and two. He would have won the Cy Young if it wasn't for a, a uh, kid out of Mexico by the name of Fernando Valenzuela, who we know about the Fernando Mania of 1981. And if it wasn't for what Valenzuela did in the eight shutouts and the dominance amongst the National League that year, Tom Seaver probably wins the Cy Young that year. But the Reds fall on a little bit of hard times. 1982 was a bad season for Seaver, the worst year he had as a pro. And all of a sudden, the possibility exists that Seaver could be had in a trade. Odds are, Seaver's hope if he could be traded anywhere would probably be back to the New York Mets. I think the animosity that had existed at the time between the two, the Mets and Tom Seaver, had subsided a little bit. Remember, the Mets are under a different ownership. Nelson Doubleday had bought the franchise with a minority owner by the name of Fred Wilpon. So we could do a whole show about Fred Wilpon, the Wilpons, and the Mets. As, as we know, the Mets are coming cl- close to a sale to hedge fund manager and multi-billionaire Steve Cohen. So... Different ownership. Frank Cashin's running the Mets at this time, the team president and general manager. So it looks like the Mets had turned a new leaf, and the possibility did exist that Seaver could be traded for and return to this great franchise that uh, he was so synonymous with. So the Mets work out a trade with the Cincinnati Reds. Once again, a trade that doesn't help the Reds at all. Lloyd McClendon, Charlie Paleo, and a minor league pitcher by the name of Jason Felice end up going to Cincinnati, and Seaver comes home back to the New York Mets. He has that famous walk from the bullpen before the opening day of the 1983 season. He walks his way down from the bullpen, something that you don't see very often, but with a capacity crowd at Shea Stadium, standing ovation, a whole thing, we all understand what's happening. Tom Seaver's coming back. He's coming back home. And he has a losing season. They go, it goes 9-13 on a team that lost well over 90 games. A team that was so bad that manager George Bamberger just up and quit in the middle of a press conference before one game. He just decides, I don't want to do this anymore. This team is pretty bad. I don't want anything to do with being a major league manager at this moment. And he ends up walking away. Frank Howard ends up managing the team the rest of the season. Like I said, they lose well over 90 games. But what stands out about the 1983 season is the fact that the Mets make the big trade for Keith Hernandez from the St. Louis Cardinals. Rick Ombi, Neil Allen end up going back. So 
the trade for Keith Hernandez is one of the first deals that the Mets make as they start to get back to prominence. They have this great outfield prospect that's playing in the major leagues at this moment named Daryl Strawberry, and they seem like seems like they're on their way. Tom Seaver's back. They got this young pitcher that's pitching in the minor leagues named Dwight Good, who's tearing it up at Lynchburg. Ends up pitching in the AAA playoffs, leading them to a championship. And their manager, Davey Johnson, from the Tidewater Tides. Gooden and Johnson end up coming aboard with the Mets for the 1984 season with Hernandez and Strawberry and George Foster and Rusty Staub. And all of a sudden, they have the makings of a team that's on the rise. And one of the reasons that the team is on the rise is because they got their franchise back, their star. The player that never should have left them was back. Tom Seaver was wearing a Mets uniform again, being traded for before the 1983 season. So what could go wrong? Well, a lot of things go wrong here. A lot of it has to do with Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, the players and the owners are coming off of a very, very big strike that they just got over in the 1981 season, a split season that I just spoke about with the Reds and the Cardinals winning the most games in the National League, and neither one of those two teams end up making the playoffs. So you have the agreement that the players and the owners have to try to come up with something that's a little bit better to make up for the free agent situation that exists in Major League Baseball. Free agency after the site's decision of 1976 starts to run rampant in the sport, Owners don't seem to have control over the players, the very players that they had in their own franchise. So a player they could bring up, they could have drafted, they could have brought him up through their system. He plays a handful of seasons for their Major League Baseball team, becomes a star, and all of a sudden is worth a lot more than a, an individual team is able and willing to pay, and that team ends up losing them for very little compensation. Now, we look now at the age of 2020, and to get a draft pick, I think the draft picks have a little more value now than they did then. And a Major League Baseball team that was losing the player was like, all I'm really getting is a draft pick at this point. So is it really the value of losing that player that the other team gains just by having more money than me? So they come up with this system and they set up a free agent pool amongst players that are not protected by an individual team. Now, it allows a team, if they want to, to bring a couple young players, maybe get a young player from another franchise and build them up to be their next star. And that kind of takes the Band-Aid off a little bit and you feel a little bit better about losing the type A free agent. Now, the free agents were set up into three categories, type A, type B, type C. The type A free agents were the ones that were going to result in a player going back to that team. Now, the teams were able to protect 26 players on each one of their franchises. So you could pick, keep a series of players from your own roster. You could keep a series of players from your minor league team. But you only got to keep up to 26. Now, the one little caveat in this, which we're going to get into how the Mets screwed this up. And really, this was a bigger botch situation than it was the first time when the Mets were just suffering from bad ownership and an ownership group that really was just looking to get out. The problem here is that the Mets look at Seavers' 9-13 season from 1983. 
don't think about the value that he had to their franchise. Frank Cashin tries to outsmart himself and thinks that the rest of Major League Baseball is not going to want a pitcher in his 30s that's coming off of a 9-13 season. Now, if the Mets had this to do over again, they could have done one of two things. They could have protected Seaver, which obviously hindsight is 2020 and beyond. Maybe about, you know, I don't know, maybe, you know, 120 in this situation. Or the one little thing that a lot of people don't even know is that the Mets could have opted out of signing a type A free agent. By the way, there was only a handful of type A free agents that ended up changing teams that offseason. The Mets didn't sign one of them. So they didn't even have to protect any players. They could have opted out and said, we're not going to sign a type A free agent, so therefore all the players on their roster were protected for the next season. How did they botch that up? And I know, I know we'll talk about how great of a general manager Frank Cashin is, and he was. He was the best general manager and team president that the team had in a franchise's history. But he botched this up. He couldn't have screwed this up anymore. So Tom Seaver, who was meant to come back to the Mets, where he should have pitched and won his 300th game with, ends up heading to the Chicago White Sox, and the White Sox get him as compensation for losing Dennis Lamp as a free agent. Dennis Lamp, who had pitched for the Cubs and the White Sox, had 15 saves as a reliever in the 1983 season. Shouldn't Probably shouldn't have been considered a type A free agent, but whatever, he was. So the White Sox lose Dennis Lamp, have a chance to pick from this pool of players from these other teams, and they decide to take Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver ends up pitching for the Chicago White Sox. He wins 15 games and 16 games over the 1984 and 1985 seasons, gets his 300th win, yes, at Yankee Stadium, which was a great moment for baseball, great moment for New York, and great for Mets fans who had the opportunity, whether it was on television, on WPIX, or had a chance to go in person to a Yankees game and watch Tom Seaver win his 300th game for the White Sox against the Yankees. But the problem exists there is that Tom, Tom Seaver was handled poorly by the Mets on a couple of different occasions. And you go back to it and you talk about the Braves who drafted him. And by the way, Two picks earlier, the Mets could have taken him instead of a high school outfielder that never made it to the major leagues. The Mets could have drafted Seaver and had him the whole time for the whole 20 years that he pitched. But we're given a gift when the Atlanta Braves, who probably should never have lost him, they should never have lost Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver should have been pitching for the Atlanta Braves. And I know it's sacrilege to say that. The guy who wears number 41, 41, the first player, his number to ever be retired by the New York Mets in their franchise, the first player to ever go into the Hall of Fame wearing a New York Mets cap. He should have been an Atlanta Brave. And you think about the twists and turns, and, you know, maybe, maybe it has to do with the Mets franchise, the fact that the franchise has not had the history of always making the right decisions. But they were given the ultimate gift. 
a gift of one of the best pitchers to ever play in Major League Baseball. When they screwed it up and they drafted a high school outfielder out of Dallas, Texas, who never made it to the Major Leagues, two picks before the Braves took him with the 20th overall pick. And then to have him not only deliver you a World Series championship in 1969, Deliver you to Game 7 of the World Series in 1973. Almost another World Series championship against a great Oakland athletic team. That athletic team, and we could talk about it. This could be a side discussion. We could talk about the best teams of the 1970s. To me, the Oakland Athletics were the best team. You could talk about the Big Red Machine. I know. We could talk about the Big Red Machine. Open the chair for me. Hold on, buddy. I'm doing a show. We could talk about the Yankees of the late 70s. We could talk about the Big Red Machine. Talk about the Pirates who won World Series in 71 and 79. The Dodgers who were very good in that decade. To me, the Oakland Athletics were the best team of the 1970s. And the Mets came within a game of beating them. If they somehow win game seven, you're talking about two World Series championships in five years. Something that would have been very special for the franchise and the history of the New York Mets franchise. But you look back at Tom Seaver, it's the best that the Mets ever had. So you, you want to throw a mulligan in the fact that he was traded in 1977 when nothing was going right. They were looking to get rid of players. They were looking to rebuild the magic Mets coming in 1980. Hey, buddy. Get the door open for me. Happy to have Nolan as a guest on the show today. He's, he's an up-and-comer. He's going he's gonna to end up talking a little more. He's going to contribute to the program a little bit. Where to get his take when it comes to Tom Seaver and the value of where he ranks amongst the top starting pitchers of all time. So the Mets were in a spot where they botched Seaver's situation in 1977 and were blessed enough to get him back for the 1983 season. And I can't forgive the New York Mets franchise for not be, you know, just not opting out. How do you not opt out of signing free agents for the 1984 season? It's not like you couldn't have signed anybody. There's a handful of players that are labeled type A free agents. The Mets didn't sign any of them anyway. I don't know if they were even in negotiations with any of these players. So why didn't they just opt out? They could have protected every single player on the roster, and Tom Seaver could have finished his career with the New York Mets. And likely, he could have been in the Mets dugout when they won the World Series in 1986 and not across the field in the Boston Red Sox dugout where he ended up being. Now, we know that Seaver's arm had gone out by then. He wasn't pitching in a postseason for the Red Sox. He was traded during the 1986 season from the White Sox to the, Chicago, the Boston Red Sox for Steve Lyons. But it would have been a lot more fitting. The story was told well enough that after the trade to the Reds, after he gets his no-hitter, he comes back riding a stallion for the 1983 season. And he might as well have been riding a horse in from the bullpen at a pitcher's mound on opening day in 1983. And what bothers me the most about it wasn't the trade of him in 1977. 
It was when you have the opportunity to opt out in free agent compensation. All you have to say is that for this one-off season, we're not going to sign a type A free agent. And guess what? The Mets didn't do that anyway. They didn't sign a free agent. They certainly didn't sign a type A free agent. So they let Tom Seaver go for nothing. And the White Sox got him as compensation for losing Dennis Lamp. Yeah, we'll, we'll give up Dennis Lamp. We'll trade him for Tom Seaver. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good deal for the White Sox. It's one of the things that bothered me the most. And a lot of people don't even understand how that transpired. Like I said, we started talk about talking about the contract situation that existed with the Atlanta Braves. Probably wasn't the Braves' fault as much as it was the commissioner, you know, General William Eckert, who was trying to make a name for himself. He goes down in history, and I've spoken about it before, ranking the top ten commissioners of all time. He's certainly towards the bottom. He's not Kennesaw Mountain Landis. He's not Rob Manfred. He's not in that level. But he's certainly not near the top. You're not talking about the best. He's not Happy Chandler. He's not Ford Frick. He's not a Bartlett Giamatti. I'll tell you that. So trying to make a name for himself, he voids the deal that was agreed to between the Braves who drafted Tom Seaver and Tom Seaver. And he ends up with the Mets as a gift. What would the Mets franchise be without him? Where would Tom Seaver be with the New York Mets, synonymous with the fan base? 41, the memories, the nickname, Tom Terrific, the franchise. Where would that all be if he had just signed his contract with the Braves and it wasn't voided by the commissioner? So, so many things happen. And like I said, you can write a book about this whole process. You know, Tom Seaver is going to be remembered as the greatest Met of all time. And I'll tell you, if there's a Met in the future that's going to be up there in that category, they got to do a hell of a lot. They got to win a World Series championship. We'll start out with that. But they got to be one of the best of all time. And we talk about the greatest starting pitchers in the history of Major League Baseball. And... I'm going to get into it once I finish the book of the top 100 offensive position players of all time. We're going to get into starting pitchers. And, you know, spoiler alert, John Donaldson, Satchel Page, they're going to be in my top five. Sandy Koufax, Pedro Martinez, probably in my top five. And then you talk about a series of other pitchers that are going to be in the top ten. Old Haas Radborn's got to be top ten. Cy Young, Walter Johnson, Christy Matthewson, got to be top 10. So the question that I had started to show with is where would Tom Seaver rank? And I'll write these pitchers' names down as we get ourselves close to a top 10. And like I said, it's going to be no, no particular order, but it's just the easiest for me to remember. John Donaldson, Satchel Page, Christy Matthewson, Walter Johnson, Cy Young, and then you got Koufax, and Pedro.
And then you think of the greatest pitchers to ever play. And Old Haas Radborn deserves to be there. So those are eight of the ten when you talk about the top ten starting pitchers to ever pitch in Major League Baseball. And I'll come up with another list of those that are going to be pretty close. We'll start with Seaver. Have no problem putting him in there. There's this guy by the name of Randy Johnson. There's a contemporary of Seaver by the name of Steve Carlton. He's pretty damn good himself. Nolan Ryan, who I never looked at Nolan Ryan to be on the level of Seaver. Now, Nolan Ryan had a great career. Nolan Ryan pitched well into his 40s. And, you know, if there was a contemporary to say that there was a pitcher that had the same style and the same routine and the same ability to pitch, kind of did it the same way as Tom Seaver was Nolan Ryan. That whole drag and drive, you know, the power of the legs led to both of those pitchers having really long careers. So I want to throw some other pitchers' names in there. There's a guy by the name of Greg Maddox. And to me, there's a little bit of a drop-off after that. Now, Pete Alexander, Grover Cleveland Alexander, it's got to be pretty close. You know, you think of Big Ed Walsh. Uh, you think of Chief Bender. And I'll throw some other random names in there. Lefty Grove was a pretty damn good pitcher. You know, Bob Gibson. And, and you can keep going on and on. I could fill this whole page up with a list of elite starting pitchers that pitched in Major League Baseball history. But I feel a little more confident about my top eight and say that my top eight is kind of undisputable. Now, of course, you could throw your own top eight in there and have eight different pitchers than I put. So the question I want to finish the program up today is, is Tom Seaver a top 10 overall pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball? I think Greg Maddox deserves one of the last two spots, nine or 10. So that leaves one spot for Seaver, for Randy Johnson, for Steve Carlton, for Pete Alexander. And I would say those are the final four that you would say would be qualified for that number 10 spot. And that's assuming that we're just doing the top 10. You make a top 11 or a top 13, and I'm okay with all four of these pitchers being put in there. So the dispute could be, does Tom Seaver, or is he worthy of a top 10 spot amongst starting pitchers of all time? And I want you to let me know what your top 10 is. Mine would be Donaldson, Page, Matheson, Walter Johnson, Cy Young, Koufax, Pedro, Old Haas, Radborn, Greg Maddox. And I think I could go Seaver number 10 over Randy Johnson, over Steve Carlton, over Pete Alexander, but both of them would be pretty close. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And I'm always happy to be with you. We're going to do another show in a couple days on Labor Day. We'll get into a ton of stuff going on in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. But wanted to spend a little time talking about one of the greats in the game, Tom Seaver, who we lost this past week at the age of 75, battling dementia, you know, Lyme's disease, a couple other things that end up impacting somebody when they get to the advanced aged age. We know he's retired or was retired from public life 
for about a year and a half. So you look back on when you look at a pitcher that was so synonymous with the New York Mets that he was nicknamed the franchise. His number 41, the first number retired in the history of the franchise. Goes in the Hall of Fame wearing a New York Mets hat. First player to ever do that. Mike Piazza, as good as he was, was not Tom Seaver for the New York Mets. And you wonder how that even happened. The Braves simply drafted him out of USC, went to sign him a contract, and the commissioner avoided the contract. Because Tom Seaver's school, USC, played a couple exhibition games. Seaver didn't even pitch in him. Kind of a weird situation. And how do you not include the Braves amongst the teams that could be put in the lottery to be awarded this player? What did the Braves do that was so wrong? A lot of people don't realize how close Tom Seaver became to be property of the Atlanta Braves. And maybe he pitches his whole 20-year career with the Atlanta Braves. Maybe they win a couple World Series championships. You know, how about having Tom Seaver as your ace pitcher when you got these guys named Aaron and Matthews in your lineup every day? I'm, I'm about, I'm willing to give the Mets a mulligan for the trade of Seaver in 77. So many things were going bad for that franchise. They were about to sell the club. The team was going nowhere. Dick Young stuck his nose in a, in, in a situation, alienating the Seaver family even more. I understood why that happened. The Mets given a gift with Seaver having a bad 82 season, the Reds going into a little bit of a rebuild, and a trade gets worked out between the Cincinnati Reds and the New York Mets. Jason Felice, Charlie Paleo, and Lloyd McClendon to the Reds for Tom Seaver. Like I said, he rides in on a white horse coming in from the bullpen opening day 1983. The Mets should have made sure that he spent the rest of his career with that franchise. And he screwed it up. They had an opportunity with the free agent compensation system to say, we're not going to sign a type A free agent. And if they said that, they could have opted out and kept every single player that was on their roster. They screwed it up. Rest in peace, Tom Seaver, the franchise, the greatest Met that ever lived. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.